Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending February 25th, 2023. This week, Warner Brothers tells its baseball creditors it ain't gonna pay. They're also not paying their South Park creditors. (laughs) We'll get to that. We will. I'm Kim Hollis, welcoming everyone to summer. No winter. No spring. (laughs) No winter. Sigh. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, ready for the illicit substance cinematic universe. The possibilities are endless. (laughs) Yes, they are. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified Volume 2, streaming media analyst, and ready to speak the hard truth no one wants to admit about Baby Yoda. You'll have to wait till the end of the podcast, but it's coming. And I'm right. Everyone knows I'm right. He's probably not right. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's wondering when he gets to do his Vanity Fair photo shoot. They do profiles of entertainment podcasters now. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) Okay, awesome. We've been suffering Warner Brothers Discovery fatigue recently and avoiding the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch. But that ends this week as the studio reported their quarterly earnings and made a series of announcements. (laughs) They failed! They failed! Raul, what were the numbers? So at $11.01 billion, the company missed revenue estimates and... Yes, in David's parlance, they failed. Although that's only barely. The estimates were for $11.36 billion. So yeah, sure. I mean, when you're talking billions of dollars, what's $359 million between friends? Um, it's the earnings per share that really bit them, though, because that was supposed to be pretty much a wash. And instead, they lost nearly 90 cents per share. Mm-hmm. All their plans finally came to fruition. They had the perfect table setting they could possibly manage. They still choked. I love it. And here's actually the number that was most relevant to me. For the quarter, the company's streaming services, HBO Max and Discovery Plus, added a whopping, and that's sarcasm there, 1.1 million subscribers. I expect they probably had to scrounge for that because all anybody hears about HBO Max is that they cut and cut and cut. So I'm surprised that they actually had a positive subscriber growth, but it was still only 1.1 million subscribers added. And that was between HBO Max and Discovery Plus. Significantly, the company's traditional cable TV channels saw a decline in revenue as the advertising market weakened, which is what you're hearing at every quarterly earnings call these days. The bottom line is that after all the cost cutting, CEO David Zaslov's efforts to bring the company to profitability have fallen short. Let me be clear on this because I'm not the schadenfreude type. Anyone who knows me realizes that. But this has been beyond the pale, and I feel very, very strongly about it, that when there is such cynical incompetence, it needs to be highlighted and shouted from the rooftops. That's what's happened here. Let's be clear on the fact that they have two streaming services, and between them, they only manage $1.1 million in growth. Now, we talked about how Disney was facing, what, three different downward pressures and still held its own this mm-hmm. past quarter, there was absolutely no reason for either of Warner Brothers Discovery streaming services to not have strong subscriber numbers other than the fact that they can't get out of their own way. They're destroying the only product that is their core, 
right now. It is just maddening to watch. And on top of that, what just happened with the uh, cable TV channel shows, they're basically making a lot of their money from a dying industry. And they're going to get propped up next quarter, and they're going to sound artificially like they improved, but that is almost exclusively because of something completely off the table, which is Hogwarts Legacy. The video game has just exploded. It's already made something crazy like 12 million copies sold, 850 million in revenue, which is going to make the next quarter look a lot better than it actually is. And what we're seeing here is all of these negative headlines have created a fatigue factor where people just don't want any part of HBO Max and Discovery Plus. And the things they've been using to make money in the past are eroding at a faster pace than anyone expected. And they don't have the plan B that Disney did. They don't have the plan A that Netflix does. So they better come up with a plan C and they better do it fast. They literally led off with the one piece of good news, which was the Hogwarts legacy numbers. (laughs) And after that, it was everything else. And it was all bad. And let me be clear, the Hogwarts numbers aren't actually from the quarter in question, so should not have even really been mentioned. They were only doing it because, as Tim said, they you wouldn't have, to have, have something had... good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Zaslav has said that the cost cutting is over and the company will now pivot towards leveraging their main franchises, which are DC, Harry Potter and The Lord of the Rings. On the DC front, Zaslav keeps talking up the upcoming Flash movie. And in fact, the Flash movie is going to be the movie that is shown to exhibitors at the upcoming CinemaCon conference. Which makes perfect sense because it's not like that there is a Shazam movie coming out in two weeks. (laughs) Warner Brothers either really feels that the Flash movie deserves the hype or they desperately want the Flash movie to have hype. It's one or the other. Warner Brothers, as mentioned, also led their earnings call with talk of Hogwarts legacy. They are big on the Harry Potter franchise, but they're probably not going to be doing any movies for a while because the Fantastic Beasts movies didn't do particularly well. And in fact, I think they had five movies slated and now they're done after three. So they're probably going to sit on the movies for a while. Maybe they'll do a TV series. That's all entirely speculative, but their video games are doing okay. And finally, they announced new upcoming Lord of the Rings movies. Yay. (laughs) I don't know how much stomach the world has for more Lord of the Rings content, but it's clear that Warner Bros. Discovery has been jealous of Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. The rights to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings are split between the author's family, who licensed their share to Amazon for the series, and something called Middle Earth Enterprises that was bought by Embracer Group last year. We actually told you about it when it happened last year. Warner Bros. Discovery's New Line Cinema produced the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy and New Line are going to be working with Embracer on these new films. So this is Embracer's big play. You knew with that property in their pocket that they'd be making a big move and this is it. They are going to make billions off of this. Now, whether whether Warner Bros. Discovery is going to make any money off of this is another matter. Yeah, and Raul is taking his rightful victory lap on this because he really did. Nine months ago, he went down the rabbit hole and started going, wait a minute, we could have Lord 
Lord of the Rings movies and a Lord of the Rings television show, which sounded, you know, absurd and didn't even pass the laugh test at the time. But that's exactly what we're witnessing now because Embracer has found a company that is desperate. And that is really the explanation for all of this is when you make this many mistakes, you start making other mistakes and you get desperate and you'll try anything. So you rely on the known. And I think there is every bit as much demand for this as there was for Fantastic Beasts. Hilariously, the timing is now right for new Harry Potter because of Hogwarts Legacy, which did the same thing that Arkham Asylum did many, many years ago, where it was like, what if we made a Batman game that was good? What if we made a Harry Potter game that was good? Now, not everyone loves Hogwarts Legacy, but the reviews are sometimes glowing and sometimes eh, it's fine. And that has been enough to reinvigorate a franchise whose, you know, author had done everything possible to destroy the goodwill for it. That should be a play now. And instead, because they're always reactive instead of proactive, they're going to do Lord of the Rings. And I'm going to be honest with you, the odds of this being better than the Amazon series, it's not good. Am I wrong? They're not going to be looking for quality content. They're only looking for content. David Zaslav has pivoted his company towards essentially a franchise machine, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Disney is a franchise machine, but Disney also produces new IP over and over again. And right now I'm not seeing Warner Brothers creating any kind of new IP. They're just going back to the well. So yes... Watch for another Scooby-Doo movie. Watch for another Bugs Bunny meets LeBron James movie or something like that. A Scooby-Doo movie. Why not do a Batgirl movie? Anyway, look, the one thing they can do here that is significant to this and probably the one person here other than Embracer that's going to be the big winner. Amazon didn't go to Peter Jackson and you could tell he was a little salty about it. Warner Brothers has a working relationship with Peter Jackson. They can go to him. And so that would appeal to the people from the first trilogy. But let's be honest, that's not the target audience these days. I mean, you know, one of the things we always track is how the demographic changes and the people who love Lord of the Rings many years ago aren't going to be the ones who sell the one that'll come out in 2026 or 2027. Warner Brothers is doing nothing to attract those people right now. And I don't know if the presence of Peter Jackson, the film will change that. But if you're Peter Jackson's agent or his accountant, this is a good day for you. So pivoting to a couple of more Warner Brothers Discovery stories, in fact, stories that we alluded to in our intro, Warner Brothers Discovery has sued Paramount over their South Park rights. Warner Brothers Discovery licensed the South Park series from Paramount for a whopping $500 million to have these shows on HBO Max at its launch. But when Paramount rebooted CBS All Access as Paramount Plus, they announced new South Park specials and movies on their own streamer. Warner Bros. Discovery feels that this is a violation of the deal that they did with Paramount and that they should be getting all the South Park content and that what Paramount's doing is diluting the deal. And in fact, one way that David Zaslav has found to save money is that he is withholding payments to Paramount for the South Park license until this can get settled. So yeah, that's happening. And we should also mention here that Paramount has turned around and sued Warner Brothers Discovery because, hey, they're in breach of contract by not paying. So this is a good example of... 
really, this is the theme of this week. We're going to touch on it with Major League Baseball as well. Warner Brothers Discovery, as part of its cost-cutting, is trying to find all kinds of ways it can either not pay things it doesn't want to pay, or it can renegotiate terms so that it's paying less for the same thing. Both of these moves are going to prove to be posturing, although one is actually pretty much done. It's just the way that they're doing things because they cannot make their budgets, and that's why their earnings reports are underwhelming. So let's get then into the into the Major League Baseball conversation, because according to the Wall Street Journal, Warner Bros. Discovery is also looking to get out of the regional sports business. The company inherited a handful of AT&T Sportsnet cable channels. There are essentially three clusters of regional sports networks out there. There's the ones we've talked about frequently, the Bally Sports ones. NBC has a handful of regional sports networks under the Comcast umbrella. And finally, there's the AT&T Sportsnet ones. And sure enough, as Sinclair learned with their Bally Sports channels, there's not a lot of revenue to be had with regional sports anymore. And Warner Bros. Discovery is finally seeing the writing on the wall. They want to get rid of their regional sports channels. Yeah, I said this when it happened the other day. It's 100% what I think happened is Zaslav reads about Bally Sports, finds out that Diamond, the spinoff, is told Major League Baseball, we're just not going to pay. And I'm 100% sure he called people on a conference call and said, wait, we can do that? We can do that. We can yeah. just tell them we're not going to pay? <laughs> well, tell them we're not going to pay. I, I'm not joking. That's that's the conversation. Yeah, but the conversation is not only about streaming at this point. It's also about the future of Major League Sports. As David pointed out, Bally Sports did not pay on the interest payment that they owed on the massive debt that they've accumulated, massive debt that they accumulated by promising huge contracts to sporting leagues like Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL. This is where then these sporting teams make presumably billions of dollars. So we have teams owned by billionaires who then pay millions of dollars to these all-star athletes because they are getting money from companies like like Bally Sports and AT&T, now Warner Brothers Discovery and Comcast. And now, as it turns out, these cable channels and these streamers don't actually have the billions of dollars that they promised because they are not getting the subscriber numbers that they expected. It is a domino effect that's going to hamper, if not in fact, cause immense amount of damage to Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL. I do want to say, I don't know if the damage to Major League Baseball is a significant. And the reason why I'm saying that is leadership in Major League Baseball is notoriously penny-pinching, has been since the Bud Selig era, where at some point baseball decided it cared you know, a lot more about making money than doing what was right for the sport. And none of the people who have that reputation have even blinked an eye at what's happening. If anything, they sound relieved. And the reason they sound relieved is baseball has archaic, I mean, archaic blackout rules. And because of the fact that these two companies are now reneging on their negotiations, Major League Baseball can rewrite its own blackout rules, and that will allow them to have better coverage. And if you've got MLB TV this year, there is a real chance. I'm not guaranteeing it, but there is a real chance you'll actually get to watch your team in real time, something Kim and I have not been able to do for reasons passing understanding for many, many years now. This is a win for Major League Baseball. I'm a little more concerned about the NHL. We'll see how that goes because they depend on the money a little bit more. But I, I do think that there's going to be future contracts written that say, hey, you're going to owe us X amount at the end if you suddenly decide you're not going to pay us anymore because this should not have been happening. There should be a penalty for this instead of just the ability to, to walk away. 
just to bring this back around full circle, I've made comments in the past about how David Zaslav is the highest paid CEO in America. A lot of that pay of his is actually contingent on certain milestones in the stock price for his company, Warner Brothers Discovery. If he hits those milestones, he gets big bonuses, which really explains why he's desperate to cut costs and increase earnings for his company. At this point, we have discovered that that's not happening. The earnings aren't there, the stock price is not going up. So this is a full-on repudiation of his strategy, and he's going to take it in the pocketbook. That is the only language that people like this understand. This is really his just desserts. And as unfortunate as it is for all the people working at Warner Bros. Discovery and all the people that have been laid off over time, some people have to learn the hard way that this kind of strategy is not productive and conducive to success. And I think at this point, Zaslav may have finally learned. Now, what the consequences of that over the next several quarters and years is anybody's guess, but more true than it's been for a long time. This looks like a Warner Brothers Discovery death watch. I really wonder where this company is in just a matter of months, because honestly, I don't think that it continues with its current leadership indefinitely. Again, I think death watch is an overstated term. But I do think that we're in purgatory with Warner Brothers Discovery indefinitely until, you know, somebody makes them an offer to buy pieces or to buy the whole thing. And that's entirely what we're watching right now is they're just trying to get the balance sheet in order for that transaction. This was never supposed to be a long-term company. So it just feels like two years of really, really frustrating headlines that are going to lead ultimately to an entirely different thing. And more than anything else, what I regret about all this is AT&T writing a check for $85 billion for Warner Brothers in the first place, because that is what has put us on this path. And all of it's been unpleasant. Okay, before we talk about the ratings, Tim, is there anything worth discussing from the box office? Last weekend, we had Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we knew from that Friday number it was going to come in with definitely over $100 million for the weekend, and then it was a ho- uh, you know holiday weekend as well, so there was a bump on Monday. It came in with $106 million for the three-day weekend, and then $120.3 million in the four days, so that, that was impressive because that blew away the previous openings for the other Ant-Man movies, but that's about the end of the good news because this Friday, yes, yesterday, we're recording on Saturday the 25th, it made 8.3 million. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an 82% Friday to Friday decline. That is not good. There is no sugarcoating that at all. Yeah. (laughs) It's at 143.4 million at the moment, but it's going to fall apart from here. Yeah. When the metrics started coming in last week, there was an inescapable conclusion here and I hated it. But honestly, I also knew that if Kim and I don't love a Marvel movie, it's in a world of hurt and we didn't love this one. And it's just not well received because it's a messy film. And the other thing that's come out, and I'm going to bring this into the conversation because it has ramifications long-term. I have since done some reporting about what happened here. And the reality is about six to eight months ago, I had done some different reporting. There was a shortage with virtual FX in the industry. There was a labor crunch. There weren't enough people to go around. And so Disney internally had to decide, do we put most of our best VFX people on Black Panther Wakanda Forever, or do we put them on Quantumania? And they correctly chose Wakanda Forever, which is the more 
significant film all around. But the byproduct of it is Quantumania doesn't look good and it's kind of messy because there were things that were they were expecting that they couldn't actually do. And when you watch the film under that awareness, you'll you'll kind of start saying, oh, this was probably going to be that sort of thing. Those holes exist for a reason. Disney had to, you know, vulture from itself. And that's why this film is kind of a mess. And Tim, 82% drops. I mean, that's that's like horror films, isn't it? This is really bad. This is the type of thing that happens to horror movies that are made for like $10 million. Uh, yeah, as I, I saw earlier on Twitter, it's a good thing this wasn't, wasn't this film wasn't the launch pad for their next five years of narrative. Oh, wait, yeah. it, it, it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just never should have tied Kang to an Ant-Man movie. It's a simple Right. Thing. That's what I said that last week too. Like the previous two were almost like, they were kind of fun. You could take them out of the whole MCU and, and, and they're fine. But making this one the linchpin for everything going forward, that was not a smart move. Yeah, but if only they had like a streaming service where they could aggregate all of their Marvel movie content in one place and people can then watch that in anticipation of their next project. See where I'm going with that. Yeah, the thing I'm going to add here is that 15 years ago, Marvel basically made a decision and they told Edgar Wright, no, you want to make Ant-Man a joke? We don't want you to do that. We want to take this character seriously. And that worked better than anyone could have expected. And it led to an incredible emotional payoff in Avengers Endgame. But then it also led to this mistake where they tried to legitimize the character even more and they reached too far. And now they've been stung because, I mean, it's going to make more than Eternals. We should emphasize that worldwide. It's going to make more than Eternals, but it's going to be out of the non-impacted ones by the pandemic. It's going to be the worst performer. And that's just so demoralizing. Well, it's going to be close for the weekend because we obviously have to talk about Cocaine Bear and that had, that had 8.6 million on Friday. So that was the top movie on Friday, but it's going to be close between that and Ant-Man for the, the weekend. Yeah. Cocaine Bear actually includes Thursday sneaks of about 2 million. So I will be yep. surprised mm-hmm. if Ant-Man doesn't win by four or 5 million. You yeah, know, it, it, sure. it, it, it should. Yeah. But, you know, <sighs> Ant-Man is looking at Thor the Dark World, 645 million and going, boy, it's going to be a tough sled. And Cocaine Bear is looking around going, oh my God, this has gone so much better than we could have possibly anticipated. <laughs> and it's just so much fun too. What did this even co- uh, cost? Like, okay, 30, 35 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It won't do that this weekend, but it's going to do much more than that. Cause I, I think this will definitely have some, just, just some word of mouth, not crazy legs, but it's going to going to hold pretty well, I think, over the next next week or two. The real financial winners here are the guys who paid for the actual taxidermy of the bear because they paid $200 to have it shipped, and they have turned it into a museum legacy now <laughs> with so much side merchandise you can't even believe, and it's only going to explode from here because Cocaine Bear Funko is doing like you have to get this new Cocaine Bear Funko Pop emails because they know it's such a winner. This is like a pop culture icon immediately. It's snakes on a plane if snakes on a plane didn't suck. This is the most exactly what it says on the tin movie title since Snakes on a Plane, but it's much better than Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, my initial impression of this movie was that it was going to be like Snakes on a Plane because it it seems like the most internet meme movie since Snakes on a Plane, except Snakes on a Plane failed at the box office. And right now it 
looks like Cocaine Bear is doing the opposite. Honestly, if this is what post-COVID Hollywood looks like, I'm all for this. The advertising campaign on this has been fantastic. This movie just looks so entertaining. This looks like a lot of fun. This is like a reason for people to get out of their houses and go to the movies. Let's do it. Yeah, and let's be honest about the fact that this isn't going to be a giant box office weekend. So really, the cocaine bear phenomenon is just getting started. When it's on streaming, that's when it's going to have the bullet train effect. I also throw in there's one more new release this weekend, a faith-based movie, Jesus Revolution, that came in with $7 million on Friday, which is surprisingly impressive. So it's a generally decent weekend at the box office, at least if you're at the top three movies, but just the whole Ant-Man thing is very troubling going forward. Kim, do you want to tell them what happened at Cocaine Bear? We saw Cocaine Bear on Thursday night. And after we left, I was standing outside the theater waiting for David. And across from our theater, across the hall, was Jesus Revolution. And the people who were walking into that theater just looked at me so disapprovingly. <laughs> I was so judged. <laughs> I will I will pay someone $5 at a movie theater to switch the reels. <laughs> All right. Well, how about we talk about the ratings now that we've had our cocaine bear fun? Yes, uh, we have the Nielsen stream ratings for Monday, January 23rd to Sunday, January 29th. And it's an interesting week. It's uh, nothing too explosive, but there's a couple things to talk about here. The top show, surprisingly, on originals is still Ginny and Georgia, another 1.3 billion minutes for its 20 episodes. So this, this show is surprisingly holding extremely well. I mean, we knew it would do well when it showed up, but it's actually got some really surprising staying power. Have they announced renewed this for a third season yet? I haven't heard either way. Yeah, I'm surprised because this is a big winner for Netflix. I assume it's inevitable at this point, but yeah, I'm just surprised we haven't already gotten that green light because they have obviously have more data than, than, than we do at this point. Uh, that 90 show is in second. Uh, it drops from last week, though, 963 million minutes, which, which shows two things. The limitation of one, the Nielsen data and just the length of these episodes. As as we said, there it's a, it's a sitcom. So at, at most, the show is a half hour long and one of the episodes even comes in at 21 minutes. So they're watching the whole thing will only take you a couple hours. So I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that it that it fell even after this is the first full week of its availability. I think it's as simple as the people who wanted to watch it already did. And then after that, you know, there's going to be a quick point of diminishing returns just because, as you said, the length of these is so slight. I mean, this is a trifle. It, it is, you know, an appetizer, not an entree. So it's still just a staggering performance, all things considered. Yes. Considering how much content there, well, technically how little content there is here, this is still a very impressive number when you when you multiply the length of the whole show into this number, 960 three million minutes for a show that takes you oh 220 something minutes to watch but yeah it's just the, the limiting factor of, of a show that only has so many uh, minutes available but there's going to be more in the future it's just it's not going to hold up too well over the next couple weeks because there's just probably no reason to go back and, and watch it again at this point uh we do have something new and i believe this is a first because here is poker face from peacock 547 million minutes for four episodes this is the first peacock show to land on the originals chart fantastic yeah it it arrived on the 26th of january with its first four episodes so this is uh, the word of mouth took off right away, but I think it's going to probably grow over the next couple of weeks because I just keep keep seeing people talk about how how solid the show is. And I think you still have to take any non-Netflix show on this chart on a curve, given the limitations of the, the Nielsen data. So this this is a big winner for, for Peacock, by far one of their most watched shows, except for like like that week or two where Yellowstone was, was crushing it on Acquired. It's Ryan Johnson's world and we're just living in it. 
Absolutely. Uh, Wednesday is still here in fourth, 527 million minutes for its eight episodes. Vikings Valhalla in fifth, 453 million minutes. Uh, and then we have a couple new shows, all from Netflix. And sixth is Lockwood and Company, 450 million minutes for eight episodes. This is a, oh, it's a young adult series. Okay. Yeah. Ghost Hunters in London, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yep. The season of eight episodes dropped on the 27th. So this is actually just a, a three-day number for it. So that, that that's impressive. It's been a, a weird couple of weeks uh, on streaming. I mean, at this point, I, it's hard to tell what's going to make it and what, what's not because we haven't had too many explosive shows outside of like, you know, that 90s show and The Last of Us and an upcoming movie. But yeah, this is actually a pretty decent number and I expect it to take a little bit of a bump, bump next week with its first full week. In seventh, Women at War, 379 million minutes for eight episodes. Yeah, we had this one on the list last week, right? The, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. It's a, yeah. So I was double checking. I double checked at the release date, but it's a French series. And then our other new show in eighth, Bake Squad, 378 million minutes for 16 episodes. The second season of this show arrived on on January 20th. It is like sort of like a competition show, but it's like for the same four people are provided this scenario or situation every week and they have to come up with various desserts and then they're they're judged and one, one person wins each week. Uh, unfortunately, they also don't go around and solve crimes during their off time, which I would assume like a bake squad would do. But <laughs> yeah, it's cute, disposable reality content. And we you know baking shows and competition shows tend to do do all right on Netflix. No, no great British baking show this week, but uh, people saw a bake squad instead. Ninth from Amazon Prime, Jack Ryan still here. They're going 18 million minutes for 24 episodes and one new show in 10th physical 100 269 million minutes for just two episodes this is a korean competition series that we talked about almost like squid game if there wasn't actual killing whenever i load netflix it begs me to watch this i mean begs me so i'm not surprised yeah this apparently will release weekly so we we might see it hang on for a couple weeks because somehow it has nine episodes to date but this has only two on uh available on on netflix interesting that they're going with a weekly release model for it but looks like they're actually picking it up after it's airing in, in korea which is why it's weekly yeah we might see this hang around for a couple weeks but it was i was amused to see this show pop up on the list movies is pretty a pretty sorry category outside of the top two movies which was one of the weakest ones we've, we've ever seen and but after these two, it does does fall apart. But it is led with actually the most streamed show of the week, according to Nielsen. And this is You People, 1.5 billion minutes for the movie. That is a really strong performance for a film whose criticism absolutely stunned me. I don't even know how to say this. The Jonah Hill film has been accused of being anti-Semitic. So there has been a lot of pushback on this. But uh, the reviews weren't good, and so the fact that it did this well, really, we, we marked out over the cast. And so, you know, it just goes to show that is Netflix's model is to have really, really recognizable people in obviously engaging projects. It'll work, but uh, <laughs> the reception of this one was icy, and that caught me off guard. Yeah, only only forty two percent positive of Rotten Tomatoes, and yeah, we were we were, we seemed kind of hyped for this, especially with that cast when we talked about it on What's New that week. I definitely remember remember that one, uh, and uh, I'm really surprised by this number. That's one of the bigger Netflix movies actually in quite some time. I guess it may not hold up from here, but yeah, I, yeah, I was completely unaware of the supposed controversy. But yeah, it's 
the suggestions of uh, anti-Semitism is, is uh, really surprising to me. Yeah, it's it's gotten uncomfortable. All right. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll move on from there. We'll see how it holds up over the next couple of weeks. But this is an uh, interesting one in second uh, from uh, Prime Video, Shotgun Wedding, 872 million minutes. David, you, you think that's probably well-deserved, right? That is correct. I am certainly some of those 872 million minutes, and I have shown Kim two different scenes from it, which tells you that I was wildly entertained by stuff. There is a random scene involving the collective works of Edwin McCain, which is pretty much just one song, and then there is a thing about a wedding gift that seems absolutely terrible, and by the end of the film, it's the best gift she's ever gotten in her life. The jokes in this film really land, and I highly recommend Shotgun Wedding. I am thrilled to see that it did well. I'll call Edwin McCain a two-hit wonder, by the way. <laughs> yes, it's all, all everyone knows I'll be, but you know, I, I do like I could not ask for more and it made the top 40. So, you know, it counts. And here's the only other new and also decent performance on movies for the week in third, uh, Narvik, 421 million minutes for um, this Norwegian historical film that premiered in Norway in December and then Netflix this week. But this why? Is- But why? Yes. Well, yeah, I was going to say this one actually had a pretty good hook. It was the team who gave Hitler his first loss. One of the soldiers returned home to discover his wife's shocking secret. And I actually have it on Netflix right now. No joke, because I wanted to find out what the shocking secret was. So I thought it was well advertised in that regard. It's almost by default that it's here because it was a, a new movie. And the rest of the list is things we've seen before. And the numbers are pathetic, much like they were on the whole list last week. Uh, we'll go through this really quickly. Uh, Trolls, 239 million minutes. Glass Onion, 238 million minutes in fifth. Disney Plus's Encanto, 208 million minutes. Sing 2, Netflix, 184 million minutes. Moana, Disney Plus, 170 million minutes. Jung E, as I still think it's, it's called from Netflix, we saw that last week, 166 million minutes. And Amazon Prime's Jurassic World Dominion, 166 million minutes. And what all this really reinforces to me is just how, for whatever reason, right now, nobody wants to watch movies on streaming services. I mean, after last week's shocker, I still think about that a lot. And it does make the performance of you people stand out that much more as well. And Shotgun Wedding, I mean, Shotgun Wedding last week in a walk. So Mm -hmm. if you get over 500 million minutes as a movie right now, you've done something. Last year, Encanto was just dominating everything with the billion minutes every single week for like, you know, two to three months. Uh, And it kind of overshadowed how probably pathetic the rest of the movies list is. And this is very apparent how weak it's been for movies once we got through the the holidays, really. Like, you know, Glass Onion came out, The Gate Strong, but it's, you know, still hanging on, you know, a month month later. But these these numbers after the first couple movies are really bad. So I think people really wanted the movie, which is probably why you people did so well with this. This list is laughable. Not as bad as last week, but yeah, it's just the comical numbers after the, the top three. Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, still led by The Walking Dead, another 1 billion minutes for its 177 episodes. We'll point out The Last of Us is still here in third, 877 million minutes, three episodes now. I think next week is when it will take the jump because it was that third episode, which again, the premiere on Sundays, this list ends on Sundays. So it's a very minimal amount of time dedicated to that episode, but that's the one that people were just raving about. So I think 
the word of mouth might be enough for it to take a jump next week when it gets another episode. The one other thing I'll mention, and I wanted to point that out last week, Criminal Minds came back. Uh, it's still here this week in 10th, uh, 618 million minutes for 331 episodes, though it is credited to various. We know it's definitely back on Paramount Plus, which is not included in, the, in these ratings, but it's also available on Hulu. Uh, so I, I don't know why they're just crediting it to to various. Maybe it's it's Nielsen hedging their bets or maybe they're counting some something else as well, but it's it's not anywhere else. It appears to only be on those two services. So I am amused that they're they're crediting it to to various. Maybe it's just because they can't actually count the Paramount Plus viewings and uh, on these ratings. Uh, but that's that's all I have for the ratings for this week. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix has given Outer Banks a big show of confidence, renewing them for a rare fourth season prior to the premiere of season three. Now that I actually know what this show is about, I might actually watch it. It's on my very, very long list. <laughs> And Netflix is expanding their sports documentaries with the new series Quarterback, following three NFL quarterbacks through the 2022 season. Yeah, I've been joking that they're doing this to small, medium, and large because <laughs> doing three quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota, who was my quarterback this year and did not have a good season. Kirk Cousins, who was Minnesota's quarterback this year and had a really strange season with a good record but a terrible team. And Patrick Mahomes, who's currently at Disneyland right now celebrating his second ring. So it should be a nice mix of the struggles and the, uh, you know, I don't know even what to say it at this point, the greatest quarterback of our lifetime. <laughs> and I also want to mention the fact that this is actually an Omaha production, which means that this is one of Peyton Manning's first productions. And it's interesting, given his lucrative deal with Disney, that he has gone to Netflix with this. Over at Amazon Prime Video, the thriller about horrors on an oil drilling platform in the North Sea, The Rig, has been renewed for a second season. There seems to have been some good buzz for this one. I suppose there had to have been for it to get renewed. We haven't seen it in the ratings, but it looked like a very high quality production. And so I I am now mildly intrigued and might add it to my very long list. <laughs> All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy this last week and actually watched several things this week. We mentioned that we went to Cocaine Bear, and yep, it's a movie about a bear that does cocaine, and it sure is what it talks about, but it's funny, it's clever. If you go and enjoy it and just know what it is, it's obviously this isn't, well, based on a true story, this is not in any way what happened in the actual story. Just go and sit for an hour and a half. It's the perfect length. Enjoy a movie. We also finished off, sadly, Big Shot, the John Stamos show on Disney Plus that was canceled after season two. I just think this is a terrific little show that probably didn't get the viewing it deserved. John Stamos is just terrific in this series. I sit and I'm in awe of him and how how good he is. It's heartfelt. It's touching. It's it's just good stuff. Bad job, Disney. <laughs> and since David's going to bring it up, we did watch the last few episodes of Boba Fett to catch us up to where we are in The Mandalorian. I definitely understand what people mean about the whole Boba Fett, you know, not having loved this particular series as much as some of the other Disney Plus Star Wars series. But the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda sequences are fun. Raul, how about you? 
So I'll tell you about The Recruit on Netflix. A couple of years ago, when I was visiting Montreal with my kids, we ran across a film set. The sign described some spy thriller for Netflix. I didn't recognize any of the cast, so I almost immediately forgot about it. Forgot it so much that when I started watching The Recruit on Netflix and I knew that The Recruit had been filmed in Montreal, I didn't even make that connection. But I won't forget now. Sure, the cast is largely new to me. I mean, seriously, the only face I recognize is Christian. Braun, who played Donnie on Orphan Black. But this is such a fun series. The Recruit is a Netflix series about a fresh recruit in the office of the general counsel at the CIA. His job, he's not a spy. His job is just to keep the CIA out of legal hot water. And that involves going through a pile of gray mail letters, people who threaten to expose secrets if the CIA doesn't help them. When his work leads him to a former asset from Belarus, he gets pulled into a quagmire he can't escape. No Centino, who had a supporting role in Black Adam, which is why no one recognizes him, uh, plays Owen Hendricks, the lawyer who finds himself forced into helping Max, the Belarusian woman being held in an Arizona jail for murder. The series has some considerable humor, although it's definitely edgy. I mean, the the murder that Max is involved in is pretty dark. So don't mistake this for a comedy, but it is definitely a lot of fun. It's a bit of a spy romp. There's a lot of action in it and some, some pretty heavy moments as well. I do strongly recommend it, and I do believe it has been renewed for a second season, which is great because that, that cliffhanger at the end of the first season is is a doozy. So I recommend The Recruit on Netflix. All right. And Tim, how about you? I spent a couple hours in a game called Pentiment, which is turns out to be one of the best reviewed games of 2022. It is a almost Disco Elysium style like murder mystery, but set in this 16th century. And the art style is very, you know, medieval Europe and, and, and impressive. It's it's really visually kind of kind of amazing. I haven't actually gotten to the interesting part yet, even though I'm like two hours in. So I will get back to it later and hopefully it grabs me. But it's it's off to a, to an interesting start. It's from Obsidian, who've made games that I've absolutely adored, including a Fallout game and the Outer Worlds. Uh, so hopefully it gets better. And also, I have this thing called COVID-19, and I rate that a 2 out of 10, do not recommend. <laughs> but I'm better now. Thank you all for, for asking. And David. Yeah, the first thing I want to mention is that we've been playing a little bit around with a good feature on HBO Max. You heard me, a good feature. Big Bang Theory has started shuffle play, which means you hit the button and it randomizes episodes of Big Bang Theory. It's not actually the perfect show for that because the reality is the first two or three seasons of Big Bang Theory are kind of painful to watch now. But it is really, really great for those later episodes. And I am really, really hopeful they'll bring this to Harley Quinn and it'll become just a standard staple for your favorite television programs. Kim's right about Big Shot. Big Shot is just absolutely wonderful in every way and deserved a better fate. It's a shame that programming like this can't get propped along. This is probably Disney's most frustrating cancellation, at least for live action, since, uh, I mean, Girl Meets World. Shows like this need to have an audience, period. Cocaine Bear, exactly what it, it it sounds like. And I mean that the best possible way. As I left the theater, I looked at Kim and I said, you remember when we left Snakes on a Plane? We had that disappointment of that wasn't as good as what we'd been led to believe. We have the opposite feeling right now, don't we? Because Cocaine Bear, it's just silly. I mean, it's silly, it's gory, it's violent. There's a lot of things going on, but it works. And it works really, really well because it doesn't take itself seriously 
obviously, which is the cardinal sin in these things. And then finally, I don't know what's happening with that Book of Boba Fett thing. I mean, I really don't. When you all doomed me last week, you said, hey, you got to watch this before you watch Mandalorian season three. So I pressed play on these and I worked in the background while Kim would do it. And occasionally the stupid would annoy me so much that I would get distracted and look up. Like when a guy is limping along, even though he can fly or when a thing is fighting the boss from Halo 2. And for some reason, he has a missile on his back and never once launches it at the thing, even though it's obviously an indestructible monster that requires your heaviest weapon possible. Or when the same character who can also fly gets thrown to the ground and doesn't use his jetpack to make sure he doesn't hit hard. It's just one of those things where the rules come and go depending on the situation. They make no sense. There's no consistency. It's lazy. It is lazy storytelling and that drives me to distraction. And then we get to Baby Yoda, who is, let's be honest, a nasty little lizard and just the kawaii magical version of Gollum. Isn't that right, Kim? Isn't that right? No, that is not correct. That is absolutely right. And also, what kind of idiot picks tiny armor over a green glow sword? Grogu didn't get any of Yoda's wisdom. It's a bad show. Don't watch it. You, of all people, should appreciate that Grogu chose love. That's why he picked the tiny armor over the green glow sword. You, of all people, should appreciate his choice. (laughs) Fine. You got me there. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. <laughs> <laughs>